Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone. Sakuya here, and welcome back to my podcast. Welcome back, my toes. I know you're probably expecting Gabby to jump in there, but she's actually not with us here today. She really does not feel well. Uh, we've had a little bit of a rough week. If you are aware of what happened with us on TikTok, our accounts got banned. We actually got completely removed, despite having quite literally over a million followers between us. Uh, because we were mass reported and attacked by a series of Russian trolls. And so we lost everything. Right now, I'm recording this on March 9th. Gabby's account just came back up herself, but mine is, well, it's still in question. We don't really know what's going to happen, but essentially, mentally, she's not exactly been doing well, and she was already f feeling physically sick before. If you want to hear more content, if you want access to more things, Honestly, I'm going to be putting a lot more attention into this podcast. I'm going to be putting it on YouTube, Instagram, Twitch, everything along those lines. So if you want to become a supporter, I would greatly appreciate it if you who are listening did become a member of my Patreon. Uh, a dollar a month gets you additional episodes every week. So I release one episode obviously here on Friday, but there is also going to be an additional episode that is released here on Patreon. Now, if you already are a patron, then thank you. Hey, I appreciate it. And it's because of people like you that I'm able to make this content in the first place. So without further ado, I wanted to get into today's subject, which actually on that note, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of sad that Gabby is not here because it is March, which is, you know, it's Women's History Month. There's a lot to talk about because there have been I mean, there, guys, there's been a lot of crazy women in history. and I mean, they have some amazing stories from all over the world. But considering what is going on right now in Ukraine, which, again, that kind of brought us to the point of where we are today concerning things like TikTok, I wanted to talk about one of their greatest warriors. I mean, one of the greatest to ever exist, not only in Ukraine, but just in general in history. That is Ludmilla Pavlachenko. I mean, the great irony here is that she lived in a time when she was fighting off the Nazi Germans and save her Ukrainian homeland and the Soviet Union. But now, I mean, we live in a time in which Putin and Russia are effectively trying to crush Ukraine, but from the other direction. But I digress. This is a story that must be told. So Ludmilla Pavlichenko was born in 1916 in Belaya Tserkov, which is a large Ukrainian city south of Kiev. Now, as a child, Pavlichenko described herself as a tomboy. She enjoyed being competitive in all kinds of different activities and especially being ambitious against boys. She really enjoyed proving that girls could be just as good, if not better, particularly when it came to things like shooting. And, and I have a quote here that she used to tell crowds that she gave speeches at. <clears throat> when a neighbor's boy boasted of his exploits at a shooting range, she told the crowds, 
I set out to show that a girl could do just as well. So I practiced a lot. And so at age 14, Pavlichenko relocated to Kiev with her family. While in Kiev, she enrolled in a sharpshooter class where she earned her Voloshilov sharpshooter badge, which was a type of civil decoration and a marksman certificate. She took a job at a local arms plant and then in 1937 enrolled herself at Kiev University. Pavlichenko did take an interest in history and she was intent on becoming a teacher. She competed on the university track team and she kept up with her marksmanship by taking courses at a sniper school. Like, in general, she just lived a pretty normal life, albeit, you know, one focused more around shooting. That was like one of her really big passions. But just like the Avatar, The Last Airbender, everything would change when the Fire Nation, I mean, the Germans attacked. Okay, see, that right there, I had that line written in. And Gabby, if you're listening to this right now while you're sitting there at work, I just want you to know that line was especially for you. Or, I mean, to anyone else who is listening that wants to absolutely cringe at me stating it in the first place. So between September of 1939 and May of 1940, Germany had succeeded in overrunning much of Central and Western Europe. Most shockingly, its rapid victory over France that we know of in our history. The USSR, in turn, had conquered Baltic states, Romanian Bessarabia, Finnish Karelia, and Eastern Poland. Between them, Hitler and Stalin now held sway over most of all of Europe. Really, the only power that was left defiant in Europe was Great Britain, having beaten the Luftwaffe in the skies over their island home. But despite all of the gains, the Soviet-German pact was, um, how should I put this, uneasy, to say the least? I mean, it was an uneasy partnership. There was growing tensions over Finland, the Balkans, Soviet-German trade deals, and also the seemingly anti-Soviet tripart pact between Italy, Japan, and Germany. All these things really cast a shadow over the Soviet-German relationship. But instead of a full alliance that potentially could have happened, as there were debates, there were actual efforts by the Soviets to join the alliance, Germany had other plans. So in early morning hours of June 22nd, 1941, the Germans struck. They and their allies had mustered nearly 3.7 million men with 3,350 tanks and nearly 3,000 aircraft, all organized into three vast army groups. Their targets were Leningrad, Moscow, and Ukraine, respectively. And at 3.15 a.m., German artillery began to pound Soviet border positions. Shortly thereafter, Luftwaffe bombers struck Soviet airfields, destroying up to 40% of the Soviet frontline air strength in only a few hours. Soviet planes were lined up neatly all over the airfields, making them very easy targets. The Stalin and the Red Army, they were caught completely by surprise. While the possibility of a German invasion had been considered as, you know, real, Stalin did not believe Hitler would strike while also still fighting Great Britain in the West. He was also certain that the German buildup along the Soviet border was simply a negotiating tactic in order to get a better trade deal. You know, just a threat, essentially. The Red Army, for its part, was in... God, it was in absolutely terrible shape. It was not prepared for war at all. Stalin had purged most of the senior ranks of the Red Army for political reasons between the periods of 1936 and 1941, killing, imprisoning, or just, you know, dismissing from their post more than 25,000 senior officers. Simultaneously, the Red Army had been ordered to triple in size. So to fill out the huge numbers of empty positions created by expansion and 
the simultaneous purges, officers were rushed into commission. I mean, in 1941, only half had completed any kind of formal military education program. Like, like at all, just like any, just like a little bit, a month, that would even constitute. Which, by that logic, half of the people that were officers literally had no military education whatsoever. So facing this largely amateur mass army were very experienced German forces, ones who had been honed in war since 1936, using their superior experience, mobility, and communications, along with fast-moving German armored forces, they cut off the entirety of the Soviet armies in the opening weeks of the war, creating a gigantic series of what would be called Kesselschlachten, or cauldron battles. If any of you play uh, Hoi 4 or know what it is that I'm talking about, these are what we would refer to as uh, pockets. So, surrounded and subjected to near-constant aerial and artillery bombardment, these cauldron battles witnessed just utter annihilation of hundreds of thousands of Soviet soldiers. At the time, the Soviets were suffering an average of 46,000 casualties a day during only the first six weeks of the war. The Soviets were very hard-pressed, and soon they began to need every body that they could get, whether it be man, woman, old, or young, it did not matter. And so into the story comes Pavlichenko. At the time, Pavlichenko was only around 24 years old, and she was in her fourth year of study. Once she learned of the invasion, though, she quickly made her way to Odessa, to the recruiting office, and tried to enlist. The registrars really pushed her to become a nurse, but no, she was having none of that. She was dead set on joining the Soviet infantry. And so th there are these stories, like the, these, um, how should I put this? There, there's these things where they would describe her as looking like a model with well-manicured nails, fashionable clothing, hairstyle. Like, Pavlichenko told them that she wanted to carry a rifle and fight, and the man just laughed at her and essentially asked if she knew anything about rifles. So even though she then presented her marksman certificate and, you know, a sharpshooter badge, officials worked, well, tried to urge her to become a nurse. I mean, they wouldn't take any girls in the army, so she had to resort to tricks, effectively, to get in. And this is something that she would explain later on in her career. Eventually, the Red Army gave her a audition, so to speak. They gave her a rifle. They showed her two Romanians who were downrange, who were working with the Germans, and she shot them. Like, she was told that she had to end these collaborators, and that would be her audition to joining the force. Which she did, and she was then accepted into the Red Army's 25th Chapayev Rifle Division. But, I mean, it, it didn't start off completely smooth to her. Like, she may have done that, but on her first day of the battlefield, she found herself close to the enemy. And paralyzed, by fear, unable to raise her weapon, which was a Molson-Nagant 7.62mm rifle with a PE-4X telescope, a young Russian soldier set up his position beside her. But before they had a chance to settle in, a shot rang out and a German bullet took out her comrade. Pavlichenko was shocked. It just completely startled her. She would later recall that he was such a happy, nice boy. And instantly, just like that, he was gone wiped out. She returned fire, killed the sniper, and after that, per her reports, there was nothing else that could stop her. Pavlichenko then shipped out to the battle lines in Greece and Moldova. 
in very little time, she had distinguished herself as a fearsome sniper. We're talking killing 187 Germans in her first 75 days of war. 75 days. Like, God damn, she took out so much. Now, to understand just how crazy that is, snipers in these times, they fought battles between enemy lines, oftentimes far from companies. It was extremely dangerous, and you had to be very careful for it to work. You had to sit perfectly still for hours on end, avoiding any kind of detection from enemy snipers. And after making a name for herself in Odessa and Moldova, Pavlichenko was then moved to Crimea to fight in the Battle of Sevastopol. Her reputation earned her more dangerous assignments because basically everywhere that she went, she was successful, eventually facing off one-on-one with enemy snipers in something called counter-sniping. And so she dueled and killed 36 enemy snipers, some of whom were really highly decorated and famous themselves from the German lines. And that, she reports, was one of the most tense experiences in her entire life. Pavlichenko's gun, which was a Molson it held only five shots, it was a bolt-action rifle, it fired a 30 caliber round, and the thing kicked like a goddamn mule. She spent eight months fighting in Sevastopol, where she earned praise from the Red Army and was promoted. On several occasions, she was wounded, but she was only removed from battle after taking shrapnel to the face when her position was bombed by Germans who were desperate to stem the tide of her mounting kill count. She had become a well-known figure in the war, I mean, as a protagonist in the Red Army's domestic propaganda, but also as the scourge of German soldiers all over the Eastern Front. The Germans even went so far as to address her over loudspeakers, offering her comfort and candy, like chocolates, if she defected and joined their ranks. I mean, she was offered the position of an officer and chocolates if she joined the Germans. That's that, that, That was their best offer for her. Hey everyone, it's like who you here, and before we get back to the show, I would just like to thank today's sponsor, eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential, and then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure that your ride stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, exhaust kits, turbochargers, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. They would say, Ludmelia Pavlichenko, come over to us. We will give you plenty of chocolates and make you a German officer. But when the bribes didn't work, the Germans resorted to threats, vowing to tear her into 309 bits. A phrase that actually made her really happy because she reportedly stated, ah, they know my score. <laughs> because by the end of the war, or at least her actions in the war, she ended up with 309 kills. At least uh, confirmed for that matter. But after being wounded so many times, the Soviets realized that, well, they couldn't lose her. She was simply too valuable to lose. They couldn't just send her back to the front line. So instead she would be given propaganda missions. In late 1942, Pavlichenko arrived in Washington, D.C. Pavlichenko, now a highly decorated Soviet lieutenant, traveled to the United States on behalf of the Soviet Union in an attempt to rally American support for a second front in Europe. The Red Army was suffering 
very heavy casualties, and Stalin needed a second front in order to divide German forces that were swiftly conquering Eastern Europe and moving deeper into Eastern territory. Polichenko became the first Soviet citizen welcomed into the White House, and actually at the White House, she met First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt, and the two actually became lifelong friends. The First Lady then asked Pavlichenko to join her on her tour of the United States so that Pavlichenko could speak to the Americans about her experience as a woman in combat. And so at barely 25 years old, wounded in battle four times, and speaking literally no English, Pavlichenko set off on a tour of the United States. She gave speeches all around the country making the case for American commitment to fighting in Europe, often in front of thousands of people who would gather to see a battle-hardened woman in uniform. But the thing is, the American press found it more interesting to try to talk to her about topics such as her style, or rather, the lack of style and lack of makeup. Like, articles written in the papers often belittled her achievements. Like, the New York Times dubbed her a girl sniper, while other columns made note of her uniform, like her long skirt, being said to uh, lack style and make her look fat. Like, literally, one reporter went as far to tell Pavlichenko that in America, women wore short skirts, and in contrast, her long olive green skirt made her look fat. She was asked by another reporter if women were allowed to wear makeup on the front lines, and, I mean, she stated, of course, like, okay, there's no rules against it, but who had time to think of a shiny nose when there's a literal battle going on? So, yeah, she, she was not happy. And pushing aside the outlandish and outright very sexist questions, she began to find her voice. She continued to travel across the United States, rallying for support and sharing her experiences from the front line. In a speech given in Chicago, she stated, and this, God, to this day, this is my favorite line from it, among anything. So I'm going to read it verbatim. Let me just pull this up. <clears throat> Gentlemen, I am a 25-year-old, and I have killed 309 fascist occupants by now. Don't you think, gentlemen, that you have been hiding behind my back for too long? And that statement was met by applause and an uproar of support. Because honestly, there is really nothing. I think the British learned this back when they were doing uh, the whole white feather campaign. There is nothing that will get a person going more than being shamed into doing it. That 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 is really the way that you could get them to go <laughs> and so when she was traveling america she often spoke about the lack of things like racial segregation within the with the red army and also gender equality she made an impression on americans and even inspired american singer woody guthrie to write a song about her in 1942 quite literally entitled miss pavlichenko her tour of the West also brought her into Canada and Great Britain, where she continued to promote a second Allied front. But despite her efforts, she and Stalin would have to wait for two years before the Allies opened a second front in Europe with Operation Overlord, the Allied invasion into Normandy. Upon her return to the Soviet Union, Pavlichenko was promoted to major and then given the title of Hero of the Soviet Union, the highest military distinction that one could get in the Soviet Union. She also received the Order of Lenin twice, which was the country's highest civil designation. She never really returned to combat, but instead, she, as a valuable political tool, also helped to train other Soviet snipers until the war's end in 1945. She then went on to compete her studies at Kiev University and became a historian. 
which honestly, among all things here, I'd say is pretty nice. I say that, you know, from, from my perspective. <laughs> in 1957, though, 15 years after Pavlichenko's tour around the United States, Eleanor Roosevelt found herself visiting Moscow. The former first lady was adamant that she would not leave without visiting her old friend, Ludmila Pavlichenko. Eventually, her request was actually granted, and Miss Roosevelt was brought to the small apartment in Moscow, which Pavlichenko was living in. With Cold War tensions pretty high at this point, Miss Roosevelt was really not able to visit her friend without supervision. But the two women found a moment to slip past their attendants to laugh, to catch up, and to reminisce on the summer that they had spent together in the United States. Unfortunately, as with many soldiers, Pavlichenko did suffer for many years from PTSD and depression. And then October 10th, 1974, she passed away after suffering a stroke. Two commemorative Soviet postage stamps were printed in her honor, one in 1943 following her battle career, and the second in 1976 following her death. Today in Russia, Pavlichenko is remembered as a military hero and is known as the most successful female sniper in history. And the only thing I can say from that is I wish that same Ukrainian spirit to those that are listening here now. That's, that is her story. But I mean, it's not the only one. Like, yes, this, this story, what I'm talking about, may, she may be the focus, but there are other women who have done some crazy things. And, and I kind of want to do more of those for future episodes on future things. There's things from all across the world. But another one, another one that is a actual war hero, of which, mind you, there are few, but we do have stories, is actually one of my favorite. If you've heard the, the song, The Lady of the Dark, which is the new Sabaton song that is released with their album, The War to End All Wars, then you probably would know what I'm talking about. Or if you've heard the song, but you don't know what it's about, allow me to explain like we said this before, but the role of women in history of war, especially, is largely ignored. I mean, they're set behind the scenes to support their men on the battlefield. But during the Balkan War of 1912, in a scene that was straight out of Disney's Mulan, there was one Serbian woman who took upon herself to head straight for the front lines, risking her life or her family and country. That woman's name was Milunka Savic. And she is known as the most decorated woman in the history of warfare. Born near Novi Pazar in the late 19th century, she grew up in a village that was really tiny. I mean, we're talking less than 20 people tiny. And this background makes it even more impressive that she was able to actually trick everyone and make her way into, you know, infamy. Because her brother got called into the army to serve in the First Balkan War of 1912. For those of you who don't know... Obviously, World War I occurred in 1914, but there was a first and then second Balkan War. But when her brother was called, Malunka took it upon herself to cut her hair short and go take her brother's place. And she was successful. I mean, if, if such a thing is possible in war, picking up medals and taking part in nine missions before anyone discovered her gender, she avoided any kind of wounds in sensitive areas doing phenomenally well. But during her 10th mission, Bulgarian shrapnel made its way into her chest. And at that point, they, she was caught. Malunka was set to her, or not set, sent to her superior for an almighty uh, reckoning that should have come. And her commander was not overjoyed at the idea of uh, getting rid of her, though. 
Like he, they, they weren't happy with, you know, having her as a woman, but he didn't want to get rid of her. Like, God damn, she was valuable. She had done amazing. And she had proven that she was a committed and competent soldier, neither of which they actually had a lot of at the time. The things were not looking so great. So he decided that, all right, well, I can't get rid of you. I'm going to transfer you to the nurses division. But she refused. She stood her ground and said that she was just going to wait until, you know, he had a decision. And she was going to get back to camp and continue to fight the enemy. And goddamn, she did she fight. Malunka was one of the best Serbian soldiers of her generation, famously managing to capture 23 confused Bulgarian soldiers by herself. She fought in the two Balkan wars and also fought in World War I, coming out of the international conflict with an absolute treasure trove of medals and awards. And at the time when she was standing there, just standing at attention, waiting for her superior to come back, he, he tried to play it off like, oh, uh, well, we're, we're just going to, um, I, I got to wait on, you know, an order from command first. So I figure this out. And she, while wounded, just stood at attention, waiting for the reply. He came back in like an hour later. It's like, okay, yeah, you're, you're in. Yeah, we, we, we'll, we'll do this. <laughs> God damn, they, they really needed the troops, but she was impressive. So she got a ton of medals from all this stuff. These medals came from all over the world, like France. She got the Croix de Guerre, like the Legion of Honor. Russia stepped up by placing the Cross of St. George around her neck. Great Britain gave her the most distinguished order of St. Michael. And these honors are just a sampling of the awards that made her the most decorated female in the history of warfare. France, in the end, after everything that she did, went ahead and offered her a comfortable retirement with a pension, whole retirement package, apartment, like the whole deal. But Savic, she was a true Serbian at heart. She did not want to leave. She eventually moved to Vozdevac, which was a suburb of Belgrade, best known for having a shopping center with a football stadium. Uh, and despite being an international hero, she quickly was pushed back into the back of humanity's line uh, mind. She got married, she got divorced a year later, went on to work a bunch of menial tasks, and really didn't do anything, which is the real sad part there, at least not for a while. So what it ended up happening is that when she got back from the war and after divorcing her husband, who died shortly thereafter, there was really no nothing to save them. So she went and worked cleaning jobs to just get by after having adopted multiple children. And this really continued until going into World War II. And once she was in World War II, she, she was not willing to just put things down and stop fighting. So she went on to provide aids to the Yugoslav partisans and then was imprisoned by the Nazis for her troubles. But she managed to survive and return to Volsvedak the following year. Later on, after continuing with her life, she would eventually be given a state pension, but that's honestly as good as it really got. She continued to make a difference. She adopted, as I said, a number of children, but eventually in 1972, she suffered a stroke and died penniless. The most decorated and biggest female hero. Like, we're talking the most decorated actual female combatant in history. And unfortunately, that was her end. I'm not going to say necessarily that she died and lived a bad life. Because while she was penniless, she still, up until her dying breath, 
served people. That's all she ever really wanted. And honestly, she did it. Now, I hope that for all of you who have been listening to the story here today, that you enjoyed it at the very least, that maybe you learned something. And I also hope to Gabby that you feel better and that you enjoy listening to this yourself as this story about women is now for you since you're not here with me just yet. Thank you everyone for listening. I hope you have a good rest of your day. And as I said, make sure to support us on Patreon, uh, Instagram, YouTube, etc. We're there trying to do everything that we can because hopefully, eventually, I can make this full time. And perhaps at that time, I'll be able to put out three episodes a week <laughs> instead of just two, with one of those being on Patreon. Thank you, everyone, and goodbye. What do you get when you take two childhood friends with a passion for unexplored history and a whole lot of booze? You get us, Queen's Podcast. And here at Queen's, we are spilling the tea on all kinds of women from history. From New Orleans voodoo queen, Marie Laveau, to Marie Antoinette, and everything in between. Each queen is paired with a cocktail recipe that will totally get you in the mood to hear the fun, dramatic, and juicy stories of fascinating women from history. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Cheers! <laughs>